Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlo, a Blazers Edge podcast. I am Dave Deckard. It is good to be here with you, even though the Blazers are not doing terribly well. We'll talk about that in a minute. Also, Marlo is not doing terribly well this week. Uh, he had a last-second emergency and wasn't able to be with us, so you're just going to get me, but that's okay, Blazer fans. Let's talk with each other a little bit, because you know what? It's difficult times in Blazer Nation right now. I know it feels bad. Five losses in a row. They lost at Minnesota, Indiana, and Toronto on the road, which would be somewhat expected. Some of those anyway. But then they came home and lost to the Orlando Magic, which was devastating. And then lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers, which was just salt in the wound. Right now, the Blazers have lost, what, nine of their last 11 at this point? They have not had a winning streak since mid-December when they beat the Timberwolves twice and the San Antonio Spurs once for a three-game streak. That seems like, well, last year at this point, uh, and it was. And so, look, we are depressed. We are, you know, wondering what's wrong with the team. Again, we will talk about that a little bit. But I want you to know that, you know what? You can relax. There are definite reasons why some of this is going on. It might be a surprise, but it's not entirely a shock. Once again, as we've often said, it's only a shock based on that 10-4 and 4 start where people thought the Blazers could possibly contend. We were a little bit measured during that start, although very happy along with you. And... They've come back to Earth, and then they've tunneled under the Earth, and now they have to dig their way out. That's not horribly surprising. Let's look at some of the reasons why this is happening. Now, we did a six-part series uh, on the site this week about things going wrong with the Blazers. Let's actually, we're going to nuance that a little bit. We'll repeat some of those things here to underline them, but we'll look at the balance of stuff and see if this team might be expected to do a little better than they are doing right now. And honestly, I will spoil it for you. It is not surprising that the Blazers are mediocre. They are statistically a pretty mediocre team. Not terribly bad, but also not good. And their bad parts... A couple of them are very, very defined, and they don't really have enough corresponding great parts in order to balance those out, and so they are right in the middle. It just so happens this year that right in the middle can look anything from, you know, fifth place in the Western Conference to 14th in the Western Conference, and so the consequences of the in, in the middle are a little more dire, severe, dramatic than usual. And it's not quite what we've hoped, but that doesn't change the fact that the Blazers aren't a bad team right now. They're just not quite a good one. Now let's look at some of the things that contribute to that. Okay, first of all, let's underline this, and it's something that Marlo and I have brought up before, and it's one of Marlo's favorite things. Blazers play at a relatively slow pace. Right now, they are 25th in the league. And that is not standard for a team that 
creates athleticism at its forward positions all the way down, and also has guys like Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp and Keon Johnson waiting in the wings in the backcourt. Okay, there are a couple of half-court pieces, and I would say mostly only half-court pieces on the team at this point, and those are, of course, Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. There are other players who are probably better in the half-court. You know, Drew Eubanks, you kind of figure, is a, is a solid statistical half-court player. Uh, but everybody else on the team, I mean, Jeremy Grant could open it up. Josh Hart is an incisive driver and can create tempo by rebounding and running the ball down. Justice Winslow, hyper-athlete. Shaden Sharp, hyper-hyper-athlete. Uh, you know, Trendon Watford, I guess Trendon Watford, Jabari Walker, kind of... They're probably half-court players at this point, you know, in style, rather. But they are young, and you would expect them to be able to get out at 20 and 22 years of age to, to run if the team wanted to, so they're not holding the team back. Uh, Gary Payton, you know, creates defense and can create turnovers. He can run a little bit, too. So, look, you got two kind of players who are prospering from the half-court, and that would be Nurkic and Lillard, and then you got everybody else. But you know what? That's the story of this team, isn't it? Is this Damian Lillard's team? Well, at 28 points a game, says yes. And also, he is the guy who puts them on his back every time they need him to. That's also a yes. Franchise scoring leader, face of the franchise. I mean, yes, yes, yes. This is all about the redemption of Damian Lillard this season. That's what we're doing here. Can he still play? Absolutely, yes. Is he a superstar? Absolutely, yes. That's the bright, shining star in the sky for this season. Alongside Lillard, you have Nurkic, who is not at all a factor in transition, but the pick and roll is a bread and butter play in the half court. And also, those two occupy the middle of the court, which means by definition, everybody else on the sides kind of plays off of them. So you've got to say, in all those senses, this is Dame's team, and Nurkic along with him. But they are so stylistically different than everyone else that that creates kind of this weird dichotomy, this weird line, where you go, okay, they should be playing differently slightly, but they probably can't, at least not on offense at this point. And that right there is the root of where the issue begins. Not just whose team it is, but what style they're going to play and who they're going to be, how they get from point A to point B. And is it more Lillard, more half-court scoring, more efficient pick-and-rolls, or is it something else? And right now, the answer to that is answered by their pace, which is really slow, and they are that half-court team. Now, some players are prospering. Jeremy Grant is the obvious example, but some players are not. Anthony Simons probably isn't entirely comfortable in the role that he is in right now. Josh Hart is being underutilized. All the athletes who could run the floor uh, are not getting to do so quite as much as they should, and the Blazers are leaving points on the table. Now, the place where they could fix this, the magic eraser that could kind of make this dichotomy go away, 
is if Portland was able to play good enough defense to where they could either create turnovers or be so sure of defensive stops and rebounds that as soon as the shot goes up, certain players know that they can transition to offensive mode because the players behind them either have the defensive play or have the rebound and they can outlet. That's not happening. The Blazers have not developed a sure enough defense to let people feel comfortable about what's happening behind them on the floor defensively, which means they have to stay where they are in front of their men, defending until the final nanosecond of the final clock, and even after if the rebound doesn't come, and that means that you can't get the easy points that would have come naturally. And by the way, neither Dame nor Nurk is going to go, don't run it if the play is there. If Shaden Sharp is out at half court streaking down the floor, you bet they're going to pass it to him and with no complaints. It's just not happening, nor with Simons, nor with Hart, nor with anyone else, because it's not able to happen right now. The defense isn't good enough. So the the Blazers are stuck in a dichotomy of how they want to play. They're stuck in the half court with a slow pace because that's where they naturally fall if this is all about Lillard and Nurkic and they don't have a lot of alternatives. And they can't generate those alternatives right now because they don't play good enough defense to do that. And big picture, that's what's going on. How do you solve it? Well, I mean, one would be a change in personnel get more half-court oriented, more experienced veterans in here. That's going to be expensive. It is not likely. It's also what they've tried before with Lillard and McCollum. Didn't necessarily work, so I don't believe that that is going to happen. Uh, Another would be, well, you know, the obvious. You trade Lillard as the older guy, and you decentralize Nurkic or trade him as well, and you just simply become a young team with all the joys and pain pertaining thereunto. Uh, That is not likely to happen either. Uh, So, look, the only solution to this that I see is you've got to get better defensively, which probably means you need to look at the positions where you are weaker. Right now, shooting guard probably qualifies and center still qualifies. And you've got to say, is it possible to get players into those positions that will generate enough defense, which will then change the nature of our offense, which will not alleviate Lillard and Nurkic or eliminate them, I should say. Every time you're in the half court, that's still the duo, right? But will also create other opportunities around them that are more meaningful than Anthony Simons uh, kind of at an angle looking for a catch-and-shoot three when he'd rather be dribbling the ball, or Josh Hart doing the same off on the sideline. If you're looking for trades, if you're looking for personnel moves, that's probably it. If you don't get some, you have to face some realities of this team. Uh, Beyond pace. There are some good things that this team is doing. They're fairly good at field goal percentage, and they're really pretty good at three-point percentage, although both have slipped. This is still a good offensive team, and they're an efficient offensive team. That's a good thing. Here's the problem. With that slower pace caused by, first of all, the need to set up their main scores with a little time, and second of all, the you know lack of defense, With that pace, that is blunting their 
offensive production even though their efficiency is high. In other words, I can create a point out of fewer materials than the other team can. That is awesome. That allows me to create points more efficiently. But my point machine only cranks out five points an hour, and their point machine cranks out eight points an hour, even though they put more into their machine. At the end, their production is greater. And if all you're measuring by is production, which, by the way, that's what a scoreboard does, then you're going to end up losing that battle. To wit... The Blazers are 12th in field goal percentage, but they could get into the top 10 pretty easily with a couple good shooting games, okay? But they are 28th in the league in field goal attempts, and that right there is a deficit that is much harder to make up. In fact, they could get higher in field goal percentage and still not see enough production from it because they attempt fewer attempts than other teams. That story is also true in three-point percentage. They are seventh right now in three-point percentage. They've slipped a little bit. They could easily be top five. But they are 16th in the league in three-point attempts. Now, that's not bad. That's actually mediocre. But that mediocrity in number of attempts is blunting the joy that they get from being fairly effective at it. Uh, free throw attempts, they are still pretty high. They are eighth in the league. That saves them a little bit, although, as we talked about in our pieces this week, they are 21st in free throw percentage. There they have the opposite problem, oddly enough. They are generating lots of attempts at the foul line, but they're not as good at shooting them. That's a fairly minor problem compared to the other two, but you would like to see those numbers align a little more. If the Blazers are good at shooting, you'd like to see them take more shots, right? <sighs> so what you have is you have something that is excellent, blunted by something that is mediocre, and the mediocre thing is becoming the glue that keeps the excellence from stepping forward. It's cemented to the ground. Uh, you also have some of this problem defensively, that the Blazers are actually pretty good, as one would expect, in keeping opponent attempts down, which is the same as keeping scoring down in a sense. They are uh, fifth in the league at opponent's uh, three-point attempts and seventh in the league at opponent field goal attempts. That's awesome. That's the pace thing, paying dividends on the other end. But they are only 17th in field goal percentage defense and 16th in field goal or three-point percentage defense, which means that they are only mediocre at actually stopping the shots that occur. Also, they are increasingly giving up more free-throw attempts. They are 20th in the league at opponent free-throw free attempts, and as we pointed out in our series, at the beginning of the year when they were winning, that disparity, the Blazers attempted a lot of free-throws and they held their opponents to relatively few, and that was creating like three or four points a game to their favor just from the foul line. Winning was easy with that three or four, four, three or four point margin in their pockets. They do not have that right now, and therefore it is more difficult for them to generate momentum or to have a safety net at the end of the game where you go we're going to be ahead no now you're not ahead now you're either even or you are 
behind. Other things the Blazers are good at at the midpoint. They're actually pretty good at rebounding, and this is one of the big questions that faced them as they were coming into the season. That uh, would they be able to, to rebound well? They're really good offensively. They are okay defensively. Aggregate, they're doing well. Thank you, Yusuf Nurkic. Thank you, Josh Hart. Which, by the way, is why you one of the reasons you can't just sit Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, Drew Eubanks is great, also does well. But Nurkic really does a couple of critical things for this team. One is rebounding. The other is he's a really good pick setter, and he's a threat rolling off of it, which almost nobody else can claim. I mean, uh, Eubanks sets the picks, but he's only a roll threat in certain situations. Jeremy Grant has gone up there and tried to set picks. He's more of a pick and pop threat, but his picks aren't as good. It's just it doesn't work right with the screening when Nurkic isn't in there. And rebounding, of course, is the classic thing he does that nobody else provides quite the same way. So the Blazers at least have that. If you look at trading or moving him, you've got to get a person in there who will replace that at the minimum. But rebounding, I mean, Blazers are at least a B plus. Uh, grading on a curve or what might be expected, they, you know, they, they could even be at an A in that territory. However, I mean, shot blocking, uh, just not there. Steals, yeah, you know, not really. Uh, they're not generating active point of attack defense on the perimeter with the steals and they're not generating rim intimidation with their shot blocking these things tend to be overrated because they're more video game flashy but you don't want to have an absence of them and that's kind of what the blazers have right now portland is also running a deficit in points in the paint they're scoring like around 48 that's okay but they're giving up 51 that's not and so you see mediocrity in what they're getting and a big deficit or a, a negative in what they're giving up. And once again, you see that they're not bad, but there's an Achilles heel in it that takes not bad lower than it should be. It's, it's, you get the idea. It's like their weaknesses are gravity of sorts. They want to soar, but every time they try to soar in any given area, there's always something that seems to pull them back to earth. And until they can cut those bounds, it almost doesn't matter how much they improve in their good things. They're only going to see a measured effect from them. And again, we're seeing this playing out right in front of our eyes. The Blazers didn't play terribly versus Cleveland on Thursday night. Damian Lillard had 50 points, for goodness sake. It was a stellar performance, and yet it got dragged back to the ground by the Cavs being bigger and more efficient in the third and especially in the fourth quarters to where the Blazers get to that old bugaboo of, well, we're behind at the end of the game. How are we going to score? We don't have any interior scoring, so we're going to launch threes. The opponent knows you're going to do that. All of a sudden, those threes come contested. They're difficult to hit, and you're not going fast enough or playing defense well enough to generate enough of them in order to overcome that difficulty because you can't get enough attempts, so you got to hit the ones you have, and all of a sudden, you end up losing a game you could have won. We're seeing this gravity drag the Blazers down just enough to cause them to lose. And they're not losing spectacularly. They're actually playing pretty well. 
but it's just somehow not quite enough, and there you go. And they've got to shore up some of their weaknesses in order to really be able to take advantage of their strengths. Now, the big one, or one of the big ones that's been there since the beginning of the season and continues with them, is the turnovers. And this they have got to clear up at some point. Because turnovers are toxic. They rob you of an attempt to score, and they give the opponent an attempt to score. Your percentage success rate on the turnover plays is 0%. You gave up the ball. You didn't even get a shot. It cannot count for points. The opponent might not be 100%, but anything above 0% is an advantage for them. That's insidious, and it's happening often for the Blazers, and you combine that with the slow pace. And keep in mind, one of the things about playing a half-court game and playing a slow pace is it's supposed to limit your turnovers. But that's not happening for the Blazers. That is a big problem. When you don't have enough attempts to begin with, and you give up 15 or 16% of them, which the Blazers are doing right now, to turnovers, that takes a you know reasonably bad flaw and turns it into a fatal one. But here is also the asterisk, Blazers fans, is that our last of our six things that are wrong with the Blazers was one that is somewhat unavoidable. And we need to reset a little bit, control-alt-delete, not just on your expectations, but also on your emotions and on your whatever, the angst. The Blazers have now played 41 games together. Damian Lillard has not played in all of those, so really the full Blazers, even if you discount the bench injuries, which I don't think you should, but games that Dame has been out, that's not the real Blazers either. So they've played fewer than 41 games this season. In fact, he has appeared in 32, which means that's about how many they've played as a full unit. I'm sorry, my bad. Not 32, 29. He's played in 29 games. That's how many this team has played together. Okay, 29 games is not enough to be able to communicate effortlessly, to know where the other person is going to be on the court, to know the other person's tendencies and needs, to know how to set them up on offense, to know where you can depend on them on defense. It's not enough. They are 29 games into this lineup. And keep in mind, it was not a minor evolution at the beginning of the season. It was a major one. Damian Lillard, Yusuf Nurkic, those are the two players who are in the same positions they were in last year, playing relatively the same role they did last year. And by the way, it wasn't even last year, it was two years ago, because last year went all to heck, and both of them were out for most of the season. So we're talking about historical Blazers. Historically, Lillard and Nurkic are the two trailblazers who were both present and playing the same roles with relatively the same person, each other, that they were before. Anthony Simons has never started at shooting guard in a real season and never started at shooting guard beside Damian Lillard. Jeremy Grant has never played for the Trailblazers before. Josh Hart had, what, 16 games or 20 games last season, and is now starting at small forward with this brand new lineup. 
Justice Winslow was half a season and then is now playing. You know, he's he's one of the better adjusted, and you can tell it because what are the Blazers using him for? They're using him to defend all over the court and to set up plays because he's one of the only players who knows which way is up on both ends. But he's been injured, and that has affected them, of course. Shaden Sharp is a rookie. Drew Eubanks, you know, no matter, Drew's fitting in, but Drew can only do so much. Same with Trend and Watford. Gary Payton II was supposed to be another one of those glue veterans like Winslow, but he has played in exactly three games at this point. Nasir Little has experience with this team and somewhat in his role, but he has also been injured. Keon Johnson, terribly young. Jabari Walker hasn't played much in the NBA at all. And now we're down to Greg Brown the third and John Butler, for goodness sake. If 14th and 15 men are not going to make a difference. We just named every Trailblazers player that's either out or hasn't played in this position or hasn't played with these teammates or hasn't played in the NBA at all. And that's the team the Blazers are fielding. And keep in mind, again, 29 games with a full lineup, including Damian Lillard. That is it. 29. They cannot come together and gel in 29 games. It doesn't happen. The NBA moves fast. This is one of the things I, when I was newer in this, I sat with scouts and coaches and listened, right? And some of them were gracious enough to talk to me about all of this, right? And they said the biggest adjustment is how small the court seems because the players move so fast that in college, for instance, you had X number of seconds to set up your three-pointer or to read the floor and make a pass. And those seconds are cut to almost none in the NBA because of the speed of the defender coming at you. You simply do not have that gap. Now, the, the Blazers have veterans, although I point out they are a very young team, but they do have veterans who are well used to the speed of the league. The court is big for them, but that doesn't uh, alleviate the need for reading the floor. Jeremy Grant, classic example. In the Orlando game, people were up in arms about this because the Blazers needed one shot. I think it was to tie it. I forget. I haven't gone back and looked. But basically, Grant had the ball up high uh, at the three-point land, uh, but he was guarded. And he passed it left over where Yusuf Nurkic was. And everybody's screaming, Damian Lillard is on your right, and he was open too. And the Blazers needed one shot with the clock dwindling in the fourth quarter, and you didn't get it to Lillard. You got it to Nurkic. A kindergartner would know not to do that. Nurkic's poster is not on the bed of or near the bed of Blazers fans everywhere. Damian Lillard is. Who doesn't know this? Well, you're right. Jeremy Grant knows this too. But it's not a matter of knowledge. And it's not a matter of talent. And it's not a matter of Jeremy Grant's own experience in the league. It's that every human being, every player, still has to read the floor very quickly in the NBA, okay? And the way that veterans skip that process is they play enough with their teammates to where there are certain things you don't have to read anymore. Like when you're at a stoplight, you jerk, and you're looking at your phone, which you shouldn't do, right? 
But you don't have to look at the light because you've been at this stoplight long enough to know that when you hear engines going around you, that it's time to look up. And you can sense, rather than see, the cars move around you, so you text to your heart's content at that red light, understanding that when the other guys go, you can put down your phone, look up and confirm the light is green, and then you go. NBA players do the same thing. They can sense or they know when where their teammates are likely to be based on the play, based on their knowledge of the teammate, based on having done this hundreds and hundreds of times together. And that experience is what allows Jeremy Grant to note that Yusuf Nurkic is in the left corner, but also know that Damian Lillard is highly likely to be over on the right-hand side and therefore pass the ball right without even hardly having to look rather than having to read the entire floor before making the decision. Here's the point. It's very unlikely that Jeremy Grant knew both players were there, read the entire floor, and voluntarily opted to go to Nurkic instead of Dame. Instead, he either didn't have time to read the entire floor, or read the floor incorrectly, or only was able to read one side of it, saw Nurkic open, said that's a good option and it was a reasonable one, and made the pass. That's something that happens when Jeremy Grant has only played 29 games with these teammates that would not happen if he had played 229 games with these teammates. But nothing is going to fix that except the next 200 games. And that does not mean that the Blazers are doomed to mediocrity or to play poorly over that stretch. It just means that everything they try to do, even the simple things, takes an extra fraction of a second, an extra layer of questioning and reading, an extra bit to the execution, which makes it easier for them to, def to be defended and, to, and decreases the likelihood of the play being successful. On any given play, you can't notice it. But in aggregate, it's not entirely surprising that the Blazers are a little bit underneath where you think they should be in terms of their continuity, ability to execute, and really in terms of standings and results. Don't discount either that interpersonally is a place where this also happens. Look, you see the Blazers right now pointing on the floor, like pointing for other teammates to, to cover positions. That means, first of all, there's a gap. Second of all, somebody's out of place. And third of all, somebody's trying to fix it, but not able to bridge that gap. Either they can't bridge it themselves physically, or the communication is not effective with their teammate. That's a mark of inexperience together. Not only shouldn't there be a gap, they shouldn't have to point. They shouldn't have to be doing this communicating that they're doing, staring at each other, uh, wondering who's going to cover that gap. It should be automatic. It sh the response should be as if one organism were perceiving this floor. That's what great teams act like. But great teams don't get great without time together. The Blazers don't have that, so you see the pointing and you see the, the wonder and the shaking of heads and whatever. Keep in mind also 
The Blazers, the first 14 games at 10 and 4, had an amazing time together. You saw the chemistry. You saw the celebration. That was fantastic. It's probably the best way they could have started out because they learned to trust each other, care about each other, enjoy each other. That's a good start. But keep in mind that the streak of losing sense has been the first time they've dealt with adversity and also, I think, the first time they've dealt with despair. And I will tell you, after the Toronto game and after the Orlando game, there were some dead stares in eyes as the Blazers were walking off the court. You know, that thousand-yard stare where you just go, oh, gosh, I don't even begin to have a solution. At this point, I just can't believe that that happened. And those looks were in the faces of some fairly prominent players. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to continue. Those players have probably bounced back already. That's what professional athletes do, especially trailblazers who have been up and down throughout the courses of their careers. However, this is the first time as a unit, as a locker room, that they will have been dealing with this together, including two-thirds of the team that's very, very young, and another quarter of the team that is brand new to this franchise. So what do you do, for instance, when Damian Lillard is not terribly happy? What does this mean? They haven't processed this. They need to go through it. They can't, you know, tell whether they should ignore it, whether they should pick him up, whether they should listen to him, whether it's all going to blow by, or whether this is a serious issue. They are undergoing all of this, I am sure. And you can put a multiplier of two or three on that because their coaching staff is new to the franchise and Chauncey Billups is new to head coaching. So they're going through all of these uh, tremors, all of these, uh, you know, potholes and cracks in the road that they're trying to drive over. And they're trying to figure out how to avoid some, how to power through some, which ones need to get them to stop and reassess how they're driving or get them to change a tire. They have to figure out all of this, which means the trip is going to be slower than it would be if either the road was smoother or they were more experienced driving this car together. That will happen. The big question that the Blazers have to answer is, how much of a difference will it make? And that is the point at which there is doubt. But that's not a coaching issue, and that's not a player issue. That's a front office issue. And it's going to be very, very interesting over the next month whether the Blazers can assess this, the front office can assess this, I mean, and how they will assess it. Do they need a minor fix? Do they need an overhaul? Or is this experiment just not going to work even if they can get some different players in here and plug those holes? How the front office reads this will determine the course of the franchise, I think, right now, as much as the individual talents of the players or the prowess of the coaching staff. And that will be a fascinating question to answer. Now, I will clue you in. One of the things they're going to have a hard time doing if they envision this team coming together is going over the luxury tax this year. And you say, why? Because they just got out of it, right? They just had a two-year gap. It's just a luxury tax. There's no repeater tax. We went through two years of cutting back specifically so we could go over the luxury tax again at some point without worrying, right? That is correct, except you have to look at the Damian Lillard extension 
and you have to look at the Jeremy Grant extension that is coming. And if you plan to keep Anthony Simons, even if you don't have Josh Hart, but you plan to keep Anthony Simons and you plan to keep Yusuf Nurkic, the team is already going to be in luxury tax territory almost no matter what they do. And that is going to start next year. And Damian Lillard's contract runs for four. So all of a sudden, if you don't stay out of the luxury tax this year, you are looking at the repeater tax three years from now after that third year instead of after the fourth year. And that is going to be a significant difference if you plan to keep this team intact, which means they're going to have an issue, I think. It's easy to say, by the way, they have a Robert Covington trade exemption. Uh, it is, I think, about $6.5 million. So theoretically, they could bring on a player for that or less than that if someone would trade them. Uh, they also have a roster spot available. So it's all free and clear. They could bring on up to $6.5 million of salary. But the thing is, they're only 50000 I think it's fifty seven exactly, below the luxury tax line this year. And if they exceed that, they start the clock right now. And they'll probably be paying through the nose in a couple years because they made that move. So the question is, is a move like that that they're going to make this year going to improve them enough to justify the cost, not just in luxury tax dollars this year, which could be semi-significant, probably be four or five million, something like that, in benefits they don't get that they have to pay instead, but Will it justify the potential cost and risk and or divesting of resources that you have to do and or handcuffing of your roster three or four years from now? The answer to that might not be yes, especially if they stay in the middle mediocre ground. Can you bring on a Nerlens Noel? Maybe, although he makes a little too much for that ex exemption. You'd have to do a trade. Uh, can you bring on an Andre Drummond? Maybe he makes less. He makes only about three million. But if that puts you two million over the luxury tax line, or you get end up paying twenty million for that four years from now because you got Andre Drummond this year, is he going to make enough of a difference to justify that? The only way I could see them doing that is if they thought that player really did vault them into contention. It's awfully hard to get a player under $6.5 that someone will give you who will do that. The other possibility is to obviously trade Josh Hart that we've talked about incessantly, $13 million contract. They may decide, since the team is only doing so-so after all, that as good as Hart is, and he is good, unique, valuable for this team, if they're not going to be in contention, there's no need to keep him. And if they traded Hart, for instance, a $10 million player, they would save some money and you might be able to get your backup center that way. Although obviously you would have a hole at starting small forward then, but they might figure if they're not going to go to a title this year anyway, they will absorb that hole and see what happens and try to fill it next year when everybody else is healthy or Shaden Sharp is more developed or whatever that works out like. So that's a definite possibility. You also have a possibility of trading, like, for instance, Justice Winslow, also an expiring contract, $4 million. Uh, you package him up with Nasir Little, that makes $8 million. You could trade them for someone. But, uh, again, you can't take on more salary. And does another backup player give you what Winslow and little would give you as backups were they healthy. 
I would think that bar would be pretty high to exceed, and I don't see that happening. So I think, all things considered, Hart is a definite trade possibility, but if they trade him, it might not be for a step forward. It might just be for a future piece that helps them in ensuing years, even you know when Josh Hart won't be here. The other magic thing would be some kind of package. I mean, do you have a Nurkic package? Do you have a Simons package? That includes Winslow or Little or someone else as salary ballast that gets you someone that you can really use. Is there a Hart Nurkic package that works? I kind of doubt that. Is there a Simons Nurkic package that works? Maybe. Is there a Simons Hart package that works? Maybe. But keep in mind with those packages now, you are trading bona fide players. You are trading players who have done very well for you and the return has got to justify that. You can't you can't trade away Anthony Simons for a mediocre piece or just to get rid of him. He is too good even though 20 point scorers are a dime a dozen this year. He still has legitimate talent. He's only 23. You can't just get rid of him. Uh, the same can be said of Yusuf Nurkic. He's a, a valuable center. He's not the ideal center, maybe even for Portland, but he's better than no center. He's better than, you know, a lot of centers. So you've got to make that package worth your while. So that is that. The Blazers are, what, 19 and uh, 22 halfway through. Not what they wanted, but hopefully things will get better. Looking ahead, they have the Dallas Mavericks twice this weekend. Saturday and Sunday, at Denver next Tuesday. Then they welcome the 76ers and the Lakers and the Spurs and the Jazz. Um, that's a lot, I will tell you. Uh, those names are not insignificant. The Blazers are back at home, but it's hard to envision getting more than a split against Dallas since the Blazers seem congenitally incapable of stopping Luka Doncic from doing anything. Now, granted, a lot of teams have that problem, but with Portland, it's underlined. So, I mean, what do you hope for? A split with Dallas at this point? On the road to Denver? I mean, Denver and Portland's always a good matchup. You know, maybe you could win a win, but it's not likely. The Sixers are pretty good in the East. The Lakers present some matchup problems. I don't know. Fortunately, we only have to worry about, what, three of those games between now and the next podcast, Dallas, Dallas, Denver. Unfortunately, those are probably the three toughest. So the Blazers may have another bit of a, a tough week before it gets better. However, after that, I think it is going to get better. Uh, at least you're not going to see huge losing streaks. So my view on this coming week is you take whatever it is that you get. If it's 0-3, it's a continuation, and you try to retool after, thinking things will look up. If you get a split against Dallas and lose to Denver, that's okay. If you go 2-1, and one, that's fantastic, okay? So these three games are not going to make or break you. I think you really circle the Philadelphia game next Thursday, the 19th, and you say, this is the beginning of our comeback, and no matter what, we are going to go north from here on that's not again not to say that you intentionally lose the next three but you've got to figure with that caliber of opponent they they aren't indicative of everything philadelphia and beyond is where you try to look up all right i'm sure marlo ferguson will be back with us next week uh until then this is dave deckard and we will hope for good things for the blazers and we will see you again at this time next saturday